Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by Vic Cambly, former Chief Marketing Officer at Clearly. You spent some time also working at Instagram and Facebook, among many other places. We've already had you on for one episode. You're back again to talk about TikTok. Welcome, Vic. Thanks so much, Charlie. Thrilled to be here again with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think just for some of the the listeners out there who maybe haven't listened to a previous episode, I'd love to kind of talk about just a brief overview of your career journey before we dive into TikTok. Yeah, sure. In the last one of these we did, you know, I talked about the role of serendipity, chance, and luck in my career. And I really spoke about, you know, the guiding uh, instinct on career development being curiosity more than passion. So I'll talk a little bit about how curiosity kind of helped me make some of the decisions that I've made in my career. So as I me- as I mentioned on the previous podcast, I started my career at Microsoft in like the early mid 2000s. And I spent about six years there in a variety of different roles and uh, looking at essentially all of their product portfolios, except for Xbox and gaming and got some really incredible experience there working with some of the best, you know, marketing and business minds in the country at Microsoft Canada at that time. Coming out of that and knowing that I wanted to move to Vancouver after the 2010 Olympics for a variety of different reasons, um, you know, it'd be one of the most beautiful places in the world to live and being amongst, you know, chief amongst them. I knew that I wanted to get more B2C experience. And I also wanted to get more experience with direct B2C brands. Um, and that really guided my decision point, um, as well as the opportunity that came my way to join Blast Radius, which at that time had some of the best uh digital strategy and marketing talent um, in North America. And I had an incredible experience there over three years, um, working with brands like Starbucks, Nike, Lululemon, Disney, amongst others, and really getting some incredible B2C experience working with them. Following that, um, I kind of saw where the services business model for agencies was going. So in and around 2013, I decided to jump back into software. And at that point, SaaS was really taking off. So software as a service. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to use fewer acronyms these days. Um, so software as a service was taking off and I joined a software as a service startup, SaaS startup called Manexa, where they really focused on enterprise billing and how to help companies bill at inflexible ways through subscription models based off of usage. And I really wanted to get like very, very early startup experience going there, having worked at a very large organization being Microsoft, a midsize organization being um, Blast Radius, and then yeah. a very small organization being employee number 20 there. Yeah. Stood up their marketing team, um, you know, developed their go-to-market strategy. We ran that business for about two, two and a half years, and then had an exit to Oracle NetSuite. Still had the startup bug, and so then went to Mobify for a year, just under a year, I should say, Um, again, wanted to get an understanding more of how mobile phones were changing our shopping behaviors. And as I joined Mobify, that was, I think, the official year that mobile traffic had overtaken desktop traffic. Ah, interesting. Um, And so that was like a really big point of my curiosity was like, how is this change in customer behavior going to manifest itself through commerce? And at Mobify, I had experience working with a number of leading e-commerce brands, whether it was, you know, Crocs, Nordstrom Rack, Eddie Bauer, uh, and really learned a lot about e-commerce, e-commerce technologies, and the kind of seismic shift that was going on in the space. And this was again, 2015, 2016. 
Um, and at that point, I got a call from a former manager of mine who was at Facebook, and I ended up spending four years there, very deeply embedded in the platforms themselves and realizing that I had client-side experience, I had agency experience, I had technology experience, but I didn't have platform-side experience. And so that was one of the driving factors to go to Facebook. And also the breadth of that role afforded me the ability to work across a number of different business models, chiefly software as a service, some fintechs, some marketplaces, retail and e-commerce, which is, yeah. you know, I loved kind of like working with some of the fastest growing companies in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, and in some cases, North America in those verticals and really learning from their founders, how they'd started their businesses and, you know, getting the energy that way. Yeah. And then most recently moved to Clearly and the curiosity that drove me there was actually the desire to get experience running a business model, you know, as the, as one of the chief operators in the company. So I joined clearly as their chief marketing officer, um, just right before the pandemic and had some incredible experience there really running that business model and driving growth, you know, in the midst of the e-commerce boom and the retail boom that we were seeing, helping them open our retail stores, figuring out how to kind of disassemble and reassemble their marketing team and their revenue teams to set themselves up for, you know, what we believed was the next wave of, you know, customer behavior in optical. And then I recently left that role as well. You know, coming out of the pandemic, I think, you know, everyone's had a bit of an existential moment. And mine has been taking a little bit of time off before I figure out what I'm going to do next. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to be 40, 40 next year. So I'm also of the mindset that the biggest uh, gift I can give myself as I'm approaching my 40th year is maybe a year off. Uh, <laughs> and you know, having the opportunity to do that, I'm kind of leaning into that. So yeah, yeah so I'm doing some mentoring now. I've recently joined Creative Destruction, Destruction Lab as a mentor in uh, one of their streams and hopefully expanding it to a few more streams. And yeah, just I'm interested to get passionate about the technology that's being built. And I want to get as close to the community that's building that as possible now. So that's kind of the curiosity kind of itch that's top of mind right now. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. I think, you know, you've had such an interesting background and and you and I have known each other for for a decent amount of time. And I think the reason why I'm so interested to talk to you is you've kind of ticked those boxes. You've been on the brand side, you've been on the agency side, you've been on the platform side and someone obviously who has kind of worked at Facebook and Instagram before with our topic today being TikTok. I'm, I'm super interested to kind of get your perspective on it. And so where we'll start off is there's no doubt that TikTok has now established itself as kind of like a prominent player. I think when it first, you know, came on the scene a couple of years ago, I think a lot of people were like, ah, okay, like, will it last? Is this something that I should actually take seriously or not? And now we've kind of seen, no, no, they're here to stay. I think, you know, a recent Sensor Tower report said that they had become the first non-Facebook mobile app to reach 3 billion downloads globally. Most recently, they announced that they're now over a billion monthly active users. So just kind of as a state of the union to kind of start things off, how is this kind of sharp rise of TikTok? It seems like it kind of in the grand scheme of things came out of nowhere. And now they're kind of like the new kid on the block that you have to pay attention to alongside Facebook and and Google being the, the duopoly previously. What do you think about that? What marketers and frankly, businesses need to understand is like, this is where the attention is right now. And the growth itself, you know, says something about the wave that the network effects within the platform are expanding faster than anything we've ever seen before. You spoke a little bit about how, you know, how they're the, the fastest to get to some of those milestones based yeah. off of what the analysts are reporting. 
And, you know, I think what that tells us as well is like, there's also a different behavior that's emerging as a result of, you know, the medium itself that TikTok is delivering. There's a really interesting book that I'm somewhat obsessed with right now called The Square in the Tower by Neil Ferguson. And what he actually talks about is like the role of networks throughout history, not just like social networks now, but the role that networks played throughout history. And one of his core theses in that looking at network science is that the wedge point at which you enter with an idea, with a product, with a service. Um, So the audience or the point in the network which you enter is actually potentially more important than the idea itself. If If I take that and I apply it to TikTok, I look at like, where did it enter? It entered in, let's call it a younger demographic that's got fundamentally different media consumption behaviors than, you know, myself, yourself, definitely our parents and our (laughs) our grandparents in terms of like what their preferred modality for information consumption is. And then as a result of that entry point and as a result of where within the cultural milieu that audience lives, Mm -hmm. they've been highly influential in consuming, and then as well as proliferating the use of the platform itself. And then the other really interesting thing, which we can talk about in a bit, is as, you know, marketers and business people, we also have to look at this in terms of if this audience has decided that this is their preferred modality of information intake, this is where the attention is, and it's growing amounts of attention that are going here. Mm -hmm. We've got to think about it through the lens of, okay, now how do we craft messages in this medium that are going to be sticky and resonant with this audience leveraging, yeah, leveraging the medium, especially now that, you know, these people are going to enter the workforce, they're going mm-hmm. to get more purchasing power. Yeah. Um, and if this is how they want to consume information, consume communications, they've got more purchasing power, we better figure out how to market to them and how to communicate to them in the yeah. medium of their choice. So yeah. that's how I'm kind of thinking about it right now. Yeah. And just just kind of thinking about, okay, this thing is here. Now you need to learn how to use it. Right. Because I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, what you're going to do. And I think we, we've kind of chatted about this before we hopped on in that you can't just take your same approach like you would approach Facebook or you would approach Google or you approach Instagram and all of a sudden put it on TikTok and like it'll just go. It's a fundamentally different form of communication and content style and structure and all that sort of stuff. Can you kind of expand on that? Yeah, totally. So I think like let's let's talk about our parents. Yeah. You know, they grew up for the most part in the age and the rise of television. That's their primary mechanism of information consumption. And then let's look at the way that advertising surrounded that, or, you know, it's called commercial marketing surrounded that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was around the 30 second commercial. And the way that you would articulate a narrative in a 30 second commercial was your typical storytelling narrative, right? Like yeah. you'd have an opening, you'd do a build, there'd be a climax, and then there'd be a denouement in the last like five or three seconds that are there. And that's like your classic storytelling style. Then let's like take it to the, you know, the method of communication that I'm most comfortable with and I'm most familiar with It's feed. Yeah. In my case, it's mobile feed, yeah. right? You can't effectively land unless you're doing something really special, a 30-second story arc in the way that a a television commercial was done in a mobile feed because you just don't have the time. So the way you need to craft your narrative is fundamentally different Mm. in a feed. Yeah. And that then plays itself out to stories, which was like the, you know, the medium of prem friends after me. And there's yeah. you know, different ways that you need to deliver a, a message and stories than you do through a mobile feed. Yeah. And then that's playing out again, the way you need to deliver a message, you know, in a format like TikTok, there are changes that you need to make in terms of like how you craft your message, the way you cadence your message, yeah. how, where you put your brand in the message um, and other elements like that. 
Yeah. So I think what's super interesting there is, you know, when we thought about social video, like pre TikTok, think social video. I think what I noticed is the best brands in the world are actually starting on what are the consumption habits of, of end users. So thinking about the distribution mechanism and then backing out from there into how should we produce our content? Whereas I feel like a lot of marketing departments have kind of struggled with that and and they've been kind of more creative led at the beginning like this is the story and okay i've made hey i'm a creative person no offense to all you creative people out there i used to sit there on that side i was a video producer hey i've made you this beautiful asset following you know what i learned in film school or whatever here you go go put it on the platforms but now it seems like the you know with with what we've seen on facebook and instagram and now tiktok even kind of ratchets that up even more to the extreme is like you actually have to be thinking distribution first and then kind of back out of there to figure out what you're actually going to create and craft and how you're going to make it yeah and actually i've actually got a question for that on you because i'm yeah. having this conversation with one of the organizations i'm advising for right now which mm-hmm. is how precious should a brand be about their brand in these distribution mechanisms. And I'm not talking about like brand safety in terms of like, what do you surround it with? Yeah. Uh, like what's right? Like that's a different conversation. I mean, it yeah. through the lens of like, you know, I'm going to pick on you. Like if I'm Red Bull, you know, and you know, Red Bull's got this beautiful brand that's out there. They're well-established for, you know, being the kings of content or the queens yeah. of content. Yeah. But you're now delivering a performance message, which is meant to drive like a direct response outcome, like a lead, like a, you know, the sale of a can of Red Bull that I know that's not, you know, that relevant, but yeah. follow me here. What's your guidance to brands like that, that are, you know, want to protect the way their brand shows up with the performance objective that you're trying to drive at the bottom of the funnel. I'm curious how you're advising your clients on that. Yeah. I think it's a really good question. I think it's, it's case by case in terms of the way that I kind of see it is if it's not going to be detriment, detrimental to the brand health, right? Like whether, you know, maybe let's say you're a brand that's used to like this kind of long flowing overarching storytelling and like, that's your thing. Cool. If, if that's what you've kind of built your brand on, that's fine. Just understanding that you have to weigh as a, as a person running the business, we're trying to go after these people. This is where these people spend time. So, so taking our long form, slow branded play into that platform as a format probably isn't going to work. And so like, just kind of understanding, like there's clear kind of research that you can cite around that. So that's kind of like point number one. And then I think point number two is going, okay, are there aspects or are there ways that we think our brand can come alive on this without cheapening it? And again, I think we'd have to apply it to something specific to get into that. But yeah, I think like there are absolutely like, unless TikTok is a platform that, you know, stands for something that the brand is fundamentally against, I'm kind of like, you know, it's up to creative teams to come up with ways that the brand comes alive on the platform. And, you know, you kind of pointed out to Red Bull, how like platforms are going to come and go and platform focuses are always going to change. And the team, when I was there, always and the team still adapts as that goes, I would say the same thing for other, you know, best in class brands, the platforms are always going to change. But it's the marketer's job to figure out what is the best way that I can craft my brand's story without getting kind of too like woo woo fluffy brand here. What's the best way that I can craft that story and make it come alive on that platform as natively as possible? Because I think that's the end of the, that's the kind of the, the end of the game here is like, how can you close the gap between your customer and your brand on one of these platforms? And what I've seen a lot of the research that we've done um, and seeing kind of like best in class practices all these brands do a great job of getting their head around here are the things that are kind of perceived as like normal and expected on the platforms. And these are what users expect. And they just build that in. And it almost kind of creates this halo effect where 
consumers love them even more because they're tailoring things specifically, or they just go, wow, this brand actually gets me because they actually know how to produce something for TikTok. I think there's, there's a couple of things there. You have to apply it, but that's kind of how, how we've been thinking about it. So I, I've got another question for you. Yeah, another love statement it. After, another <laughs> statement after that. So do you find that brands have awareness around aligning the message that they're crafting for where within the quote unquote funnel a customer is? One of the frustrations even I had at Facebook was, you know, that brands would be trying to land a brand narrative mm-hmm. with a customer that was ready to buy. Yep. And it was like, hey, your your customer's already ready to buy. You've done the brand work, like you've secured that mental availability. Now it's about telling them that the physical availability of the product or service, the specific product or service that they're looking to transact with you yeah. is there. And I'm 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 curious like how you've navigated that or if you've even come across it. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I think like this, this exercise of like going back to basics and just mapping out your funnel, like that sounds like marketing 101. I don't know, you'd probably feel the same way. I'm always surprised at how oftentimes I talk to marketers who I'm like, walk me through your funnel. Talk to me about like the different kind of stages of your funnel, the different channels that you're focused on that align to those stages the different things within those channels, right? So like, are you, okay, yeah, you might be using Facebook, you might be using Facebook video versus Facebook carousel post or whatever those things are, right? Like get into like the nitty gritty things and and then put that all down in one place and then zoom out and think about it from a critical eye. Like, is this actually the way, does this structurally make sense? And I think, you know, I've talked on another episode with George Wheatman, the VP of digital and, um, and e-com at Arteryx, great guy, wicked smart. And he talks about the fundamentals. He's like, there are so many things that I think he, he talks about how people are always so like, ah, oh, this new shiny thing. And he's like, yeah, but you have your funnel and your bucket, so to speak. And there's all these leaks. And here you are trying to do like the newest, latest and greatest, flashiest thing. And he's like, a lot of the things that actually drive revenue aren't sexy. It's just like getting those fundamentals right and keeping them right as the landscape continues to change. So I think, yeah, my my long-winded answer would be, yes, absolutely. I, I see that all the time. And I think it's a common challenge for marketers is not like taking that step back and being like, do we actually have our fundamentals in place looking at things through a critical lens? Yeah. George is so sharp, like such a great first principles thinker. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree with him more on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other point I wanted to make, though, was mm-hmm. getting back to that economic PowerPoint, not PowerPoint as in the Microsoft solution there, <laughs> but the point that we made, we talked about earlier in terms of, you know, the folks who are on TikTok now entering the workforce and yep. only going to gain more economic power totally. as they, you know, cycle through, you know, university, college, starting their own businesses, whatever yep. they decide to do. And there's another massive tailwind that those folks and frankly like millennials and below and gen xers and below have as well on that point which is you look at demographics and we are an aging population in the west and i don't want to be morbid here but what that ultimately means is that the boomers who are the richest generation of all time they are going to be passing away over the course of the next you know 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. What happens to that wealth? You know, that wealth gets transferred, you know, to governments and then to, you know, the generations, uh, the, the children of those boomers and the generations below them. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, they're startling. Like we're talking, depending on the time horizon, anywhere from 30 to $70 trillion. That's a trillion with a T. Whoa. That's going to be transferred, you know, over the course of the next 20 to 30 to 40 years. Mm. Those are staggering amounts of money that are going to come into the generations below them, as well as government for that yeah. matter. And then what that means, again, to 
the economic power that these generations are going to have. And totally. you, you know, I think I saw a stat recently where, you know, it was either in Toronto or in Vancouver that, you know, something like $100,000 plus had been gifted from boomers to, you know, for uh, housing. Couple, Exactly for yeah, housing. Yeah, yeah. I think like this this is a harbinger of that. And why yeah. is that important to what we're talking about? It's like, well, again, you then go back to the mo- modality and the mediums in which you know these generations, like millennials, like ourselves, like older millennials for me, as well as you know the generations to follow, the modality and the mediums that they want to consume information and their preferred yeah. me- their mechanism of communication. So this is a vital skill in terms of crafting messages for mediums yeah. that brands need you know need to pay more attention to. Yeah, I think what's so funny that that I go back to, there's a couple things like, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, TikTok's the thing the kids are on, but then all of a sudden the kids are rich and have buying power. Like, that's kind of how I would like oversimplify. It's like, oh yeah, no, we don't have to worry about that. That's like the 16 year olds, but like all of a sudden 16 year old is 24 year old, 30 year old, 35 year old. And, you know, they've been consuming TikTok and like, that's their preferred method of consumption. And that's what they're used to. To your point, it's now a new format that, sticks that you need to know as a marketer. The second thing that comes to mind there actually reminds me of just kind of this overarching narrative that like young people are impatient. And so the story that I I have, I've I've told this story a couple of times before I was over at my parents' place and my mom has an iPad and, you know, we're talking in a conversation and she she was just like, ah, there was this thing. And, and she was like, let me just Google that. So me being, you know, the, the marketing researcher that I am, like watching her user behavior, she like walks over, touches the YouTube icon on the iPad. And I'm like, okay, where is she going with this? She like types in her thing, hits search. And as she's about to hit the video that she's going to watch, I'm like, mom, stop. And she goes, what? And I go, you said you were Googling something. She's like, well, yeah, like blah, blah, blah. She doesn't know that YouTube is owned by Google. So like, I was kind of like, that's, that's a funny aside, but I'm like, you're about to watch a video. And she goes, well, Charlie, I don't want to read. I want to watch. And my mom is over 60 And that was kind of like a big shift for me because I think that type of behavior we would typically associate with, ah, that's like a young Gen Z or or millennial or Gen X, like impatience thing. And I'm like, no, no, I think that behavior now, like humans are inherently lazy and want the path of least resistance. And so we're starting to see that. And so those are kind of like parallels that I've seen in between everything that we just talked about. And this kind of behavior is like, it's now, now it's not going anywhere. I think it's so big that it's stuck. And, and, you know, all those numbers that we talked about at the beginning with the size of, of it and the scale and kind of like the penetration. Now you're absolutely right. It's not going anywhere. To build on that story. Actually, you reminded me of something where when I was like early twenties at Microsoft, I worked for a brilliant marketer. Like she was one of the sharpest and still is one of the sharpest uh, marketing minds in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And I distinctly remember, and this is just as Facebook had opened themselves up, you know, to going from just universities into professional networks as well. And along for that, I remember asking her, you know, what she thought of it. And fair enough, because like she'd seen these things come and go in the past. You know, she said, look, it's just a fad. It's going to rise and fall just like MySpace did, just like Friendster did and and whatnot. Project out, um, you know, whatever it's been, 15 years. Yeah. That is now the primary mechanism, messenger, that her and I communicate and have stayed in touch. That's incredibly ironic. Yeah. (laughs) Over the course of like the last, you know, uh, I wanted to leave Microsoft, 11 years. Like that's been the mechanism that you know, we've stayed in touch with it all these years. So it's, it's interesting where it's like, you know, at first you don't see it. And that gets back to that point of like, how influential is that wedge point 
that mm-hmm. you enter into. And then what happens to that wedge point is once you establish behavior yeah. over the corresponding years in terms of like gaining in that network, gaining influence, totally. gaining purchasing power and what that actually means. So I think totally. TikTok's got to the scale where that wedge point is going to be incredibly powerful. Like that network, that, that early influential network is going to be incredibly powerful at making sure that that platform continues to proliferate. Mm-hmm. Well, just just kind of building on like that wedge point, I think that's really smart what you said. I kind of want to transition over now to talking about their algorithm because I feel like, you know, that's kind of like the thing that makes it so valuable. I think about, you know, when I first got on TikTok, as someone who works in marketing, what I'll do is when there's a new platform, I'll always go sign up for everything to secure my own username. Basically, because I don't want one of my friends to be able to hold me for ransom for like a keg steak dinner or something like that. So... You know, if you're listening to this, that's a good way. And if you want to go out and get back at your friends, go get their username on something because it's a it can be a hot uh, commodity. Um, but I, I think, you know, when I think about like back when I got first on the platform, I, I got the username and I just, you know, was trying to kind of think about it like, OK, this is Charlie, the user on like what he's interested in. But then I was also like, OK, what does Charlie, the marketer and the researcher think about Charlie, the user's behavior and like, how quick am I going to fall for this? And I was just shocked that within, you know, five, 10 minutes, I was seeing stuff where I'm like, damn, I see how they make this sticky and how they're serving me stuff without me really actually doing anything, right? Like I think about with Facebook or with other things or with Google or whatever, you're having to like type or do whatever, what school did you go to? Do you know this person? Like you're building out that kind of network. This was like, okay, I watched a video. It repeated, it repeated a third time. I then was like, oh, maybe I'll save this video to my camera roll. Those little things and how they use those signals to serve up content that I didn't even really think I was going to be interested in until I'm watching it. And then I'm there for 25 minutes. Um, That's a really powerful thing. And so, you know, when we're talking about that, or when we're thinking about this algorithm and kind of how that bridges the gap towards towards commerce, what do you think about TikTok and its algorithm and the, the potential impact it could have? on e-commerce. And I guess the word that we would use is like algorithmic commerce. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think let's kind of take it through three different angles or like Mm -hmm. three angles that'll that'll kind of come come together. The first is it's referred to as a social network, Mm -hmm. but I don't believe that's what they're trying to be. I don't think they're trying to compete with Facebook and Instagram and you know the likes of that. I think they're an entertainment vehicle. Yeah, And I'd actually argue that they're trying to compete with Netflix more than they are trying to compete with, um, you know, the, the more traditional social networks there. Yeah. So that's point number one, building yeah. on that point, you know, then I think about the way that the algorithm is structured, the primary optimization point does not appear to be the social graph. Mm-hmm. And so the people who are connected to you determine the content that you see. Yeah. Um, and I think you would refer to a, a, a New York Times or a Wall Street Journal story last time we spoke. Yeah. Um, Wall Street Journal did like that in-depth like TikTok algorithm. If you Google Wall Street Journal TikTok algorithm, there's like a 13 minute video about it. It's interesting because, you know, where that then, you know, leads me to is that the, the network itself is much more designed around content consumption preferences and i've been kind of playing with like different content loops that i'm in yeah weirdly enough i was in like this alcoholics recovery group a little while ago which were like super inspiring stories i don't know how i got into this group like super inspiring stories of like people who you know had 
overcome their addiction and you know we're now thriving and then i'm a big fan of stand-up comedy so i followed a bunch of comedians and you know gave the signal that i really like you know the content i watched a lot of the content that was in there too much of the content that was in there to be perfectly (laughs) honest i fell into the hole and then that content loop you know slowly changed but it didn't change right away so i find that really interesting as well in terms of like when i look at like the way that i'm transitioning between content loops Mm -hmm. and how that algorithm appears to be calibrating itself for what i'm going to find you know the most entertainment value in yeah Um, it's fundamentally different than kind of the orientation of some of the more traditional traditional social networks yeah it's weird to call them traditional now yeah Uh, and then the third point around commerce is like you know getting back to that marketing funnel if we can you know steal from george as well yeah you know if i if i think if i cast it through the lens of what is the role what can the role of this be in the marketing funnel? I actually then align it more to like a competitor to traditional television advertising. Totally. Um, Because when I look at like the reason we see, you know, what we used to be called above the line advertising on television, it's because it's acting as a demand creation vehicle. The purpose of which is to like have something that stands out that occupies one or new one or two neurons in our brain. So we have then the mental availability for that brand. So then once we are in the mode to buy or something cues us to buy, we then go into the middle and bottom of the funnels, but we, Mm -hmm. you know, and and their number one, number that brand is number one or number two in the consideration set. So, you know, I walked out yesterday, my, my feet got wet because I was wearing runners and it's been raining nonstop in Vancouver. And I was like, oh crap, I should really go and buy, you know, a set of, a set of rain boots. What are the rain boots that come to mind right away for me? Well, it was Sorel because I remember yeah. seeing you know, a Sorel ad a little while ago, as well as I've got friends who have Sorels. Yeah. And so, you know, they've got that mental availability. And I think TikTok plays a really important role in terms of the discovery component. What's mm-hmm. also now really interesting, though, is like you look at some of the things that are happening in terms of buying on these platforms, too. Yeah. It's like like the Shopify integration that they launched recently, yeah. um, as well as just the, and, and therefore like the ability to then like see something and then go transact right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's only going to grow. And like you're seeing this behavior in China as well. Like there was something wild a few weeks ago where I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he's the lipstick king okay. of China. He did a live broadcast on one of the other Chinese platforms that had something wild, like 300 million people watch his effectively like QVC-esque infomercial, a home <laughs> shopping network in Canada here, yeah. infomercial. And it drove like tens of millions of dollars in revenue. For, and so yeah. if you look at that, and then that gets back to like, who was buying that? Like, what was the general, you know, what was kind of like the, the generation that was buying that? And mm-hmm. you, and that then gets back again to what we were talking about in terms of generational media consumption preference. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like generational commerce behavior. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kids now, and I use that word very loosely, like you yeah. know, the, the, the people who made this platform what it is and proliferated it, yeah. like they may have different commerce behaviors than we do. And this platform is very well set up to tap into those and then bring those into the mainstream. So I'm that person who eventually buys something right after watching a lot of uh, uh, TikTok live or something like that. Yeah. What, what's interesting, like hearing you say it's not traditional and using that word again with air quotes here like traditional social it's more of an entertainment mechanism i guess i wonder like i think i zoom out a little bit and i'm like okay was 2008 to 2018 like that decade was like social networks connecting like that's where all the attention was was people like on social so marketers were like okay we want to fish where the fish are that's where we're going to like put a lot of our resources tiktok came up and like 
I can, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think TikTok, maybe it falls under a social org structure at a company, but like it is an entertainment vehicle. That is the primary focus as opposed to a connective vehicle with like kind of feed and entertainment almost like rolled into it. So it's interesting is like, is this next decade going to be, hey, using this kind of like entertainment lens, Netflix, we're looking at the streaming stuff, TikTok, that sort of thing, because it seems like the attention, yeah, everyone still uses social. I'm not saying that's going anywhere. And like, I chuckle in my mind because I've had some marketing people be like, okay, so now that Facebook's dead, what are, what do we do? And I'm kind of laughing being like, no, Facebook is not dead. Like, let's think about that for a second or actually, sorry, meta. Um, and, uh, so I think about like, yeah, is this next phase for us? Like, you know, if that was kind of like elementary school, it's like, now this is kind of the next one where it's like high school and we're going into this more entertainment thing and tying that together with commerce, I think is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. I want to, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit here and, and just kind of get a, your take on the, the platform specifically and, and what you think marketers should be kind of keeping top of mind. So first and foremost, what excites you about TikTok the most, both maybe as an end user yourself, but also just like from through a business lens, like what gets you fired up about it? Yeah, as an end user, like it's a viable alternative to television and Netflix. And it actually solves a problem that I've got with Netflix as a user, yeah. which is like the UI sucks. Like it's so <laughs> hard to find something that I yeah. actually want to watch because I'm almost like overwhelmed yeah. as a result of the selection that's offered. And that's that's a user experience problem. Like we can joke about it, but that's a user problem, yeah. a user experience problem. Whereas TikTok, it's a different modality. It's in my pocket. And on top of that, the ability for like the right entertaining content to find me is really powerful. So as, as a end user, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. As well as just the fact that like the entertainers, let's say, or the, you know, the teams that I genuinely love are now adopting the platform. Yeah. They're creating content native for that platform, you know, which is remarkable as someone who, you know, who's a fan of comedy or unfortunately a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs um, and, <laughs> you know, all, all of those, all, all of those other things. Um, and then as a business person, what really excites me is twofold is like they've proven that this is where the attention is hmm. and i'll tell a story about you know one of the tests we ran it clearly yeah you know the other reality is is you know a good chunk of the folks who built the ads managers the ads algorithms the bidding strategies at a number of the other platforms you know my my former employer included yeah um, have migrated over to TikTok and they're now building those tools yeah. to drive real business value yeah. within that platform now. So they're taking all that learned knowledge yeah. you know, from Google, from Pinterest, from Facebook and Instagram mm -hmm. in terms of like how to structure an auction, how to build ad products that are actually going to drive business value. So real brand lift, real conversion lift, real yeah. sales lift and embedding that into the platform. And so you've got a bunch of really sharp minds yeah. um, who've done this before solving for the situation of the tick of, of TikTok as a platform. Yeah. Right now, you know, I'm I've I've my team really viewed it as an opportunity to, you know, get incremental reach, especially in the top of the funnel. Yeah. They ran a test uh, in the August, September timeframe yeah. where we ran a hashtag challenge. The TikTok Canada team was fantastic in terms of they helped us figure out what the hashtag was. They helped us de develop a custom song that was Whoa. aligned to, you know, the and it was a transformation challenge. Yeah. And so they were really smart as well because they helped us find the right artist, but they also helped us find the right beat and the right cueing of the music where it would be you know more natural for a transformation yeah uh, where the idea was like you know someone looks 
one way, there's a beat drop, and then the uh, they put on a pair of glasses, and you know they they've transformed, and so we called it hashtag clearly transform. So we put like a, a comparatively small amount of money behind this. They found influencers who we should be using, uh, who we who we could use, and you know as initial seeders of this, and yeah. that money went towards boosting the content from those influencers. Mm-hmm. We saw that hashtag now, I just checked this morning, has just under 900 million views against it. Crazy. And again, like, I don't know, if those are probably not verified views and there's a bunch of work that the team needs to do there. But sure. man, like if 10% of that is accurate, like my cost per view on that hashtag, especially as a brand awareness strategy, where again, I'm looking for mental availability totally. for what we spent on it. Like I can't get that reach anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited about that. So, you know, and that's like scalability of like a little bit of advertising investment and an algorithm that's still conducive yeah. to organic distribution of that kind. Yeah. Like for me as a business partner, as a business per- person, like that's the second thing that's exciting other than the fact that they've got a bunch of smart people building their ads products and their auctions right now. Yeah. Interesting. Really interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, that kind of is a good segue into TikTok's metrics behind them as we've kind of talked about tell a story of astounding growth. And that said, they're being challenged in the social video space. And again, like we can call them an entertainment thing and, you know, separate from social, but whether it's Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, whoever, they're trying to like, what can we do to rip off those features to stay relevant? Because obviously I think they're seeing that resonate with large users. What do you think TikTok needs to do to innovate and stay competitive? The first thing I'll say though, is like, I think this competition is good. Yeah, um, because I think ultimately this competition is going to drive everyone to think sharper about what's going to drive the most customer value, and ultimately the beneficiaries should be us as the end consumers. So what I've seen that they've been able to do exceptionally well is really understand who their core customer is or core mm-hmm. consumer is, yeah, um, and continue to develop products for them and not get distracted. So I get that they added stories a little while ago and whatnot yeah. as a, you know, adjacent strategy, which they can, you know, get more content creation in yeah. um, as well as like another kind of set of inventory that they can eventually deliver ads in as well. Yeah. But I do believe like if they continue to optimize for the most, you know, entertaining slash relevant content, agnostic of your social graph or as agnostic as possible about your social graph. Yeah. There's something really powerful there. And mm-hmm. that's kind of from what my, my observance is, is like that's embedded into the way that they've designed the algorithm. It, whereas the other platforms and specifically Facebook and Instagram, the algorithm is much more adjacent to your social graph. Yeah. And not necessarily like your entertainment preferences where, you know, and the example of that is like Facebook and Instagram is like serving me content based off of like who I'm following, who my friends are. TikTok might do a little bit of that, but like, that's not the primary quote unquote feed that I'm mm-hmm. getting. Yeah. And right there, like there, there is a inherent advantage that's yeah. built into that as like the primary mechanism of servicing content. Yeah. And, and being able to deliver that output to users with minimal input. Like that's kind of what just triggered in my mind is, you know, for you to be able to see the type of content you want to see on Facebook, Instagram, all of us have had to hammer in personal information or spend time on the platform for a long time to get what we want to see. Whereas, you know, with TikTok, five, 10, 15 minutes into creating a new account, they already kind of have you figured out in a pretty well, at least. And then, you know, the more time you spend on it, the smarter it's getting. And I just think that's the thing that was so fascinating for me is 
how as a user, just sitting there kind of watching, it took away the work on my end. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to enter in my gender. I didn't have to do any of that stuff to really, to, to get great quality stuff in front of me. And so I think like, kind of making it easier on the end user to kind of do nothing and then potentially still get a great experience is definitely a, a moat in, in my mind. How are you talking to right metric clients about it? Yeah, I think it's, it's without a, a doubt, you're getting the question. Oh, it's one of the most popular things. It's like, what should we do on TikTok? Every client I think is, is asking. And, and so, you know, I think at first we kind of talk at a high level of like, this is where the attention is. Here's all the research and data points that show you that the attention is here. So that would be kind of like, grade one, just like people are spending time here. You've probably heard it. And, and I think there's been a large piece of education there around, it's not just a young person thing anymore. That's another thing. So I recently spoke at an online conference called Social at Home. And one of the things that I was showing was some research that our team did about how TikTok usage is growing in older demographics. And, you know, I think like hashtag learn on TikTok has something stupid, like 300 billion views I don't know. Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. And that's any type of topic, you know, that's science, that's math, that's literally whatever you want. And it was kind of like discovery channel meets TikTok pr produced in that way for consumption. And so, you know, I think there are probably some marketers out there who are like, ah, you know, like we don't really sell to the younger generation. So like, it's fine. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is like, Hey, there's a ton of attention here. It's growing. And not only is it growing as a whole, it's starting to creep into those older generations. And also as time goes on, those young people that you're talking about, to your point, are going to have more purchasing power and grow old and probably still be on this platform. So that's, I think, how, how we're kind of thinking of it. That would be like at that high level is just that education piece. And then I think the second piece is really around education of here's what best in class looks like. Like here's the level of sophistication that brands are deploying on the platform, you know, whether it's something like what you explained with clearly whether transformation challenge or you know a dance challenge or all these different things and unpacking to be like hey brands are spending a ton of time tailoring their approach on these platforms and the proof is in the pudding we're seeing a ton of viewership driven on that platform we're seeing traffic come from that platform so yeah i think it's kind of those two fundamental camps and i think my prediction is as we go forward we're going to get more and more asks around that and then applying, you know, how do you use TikTok for a specific business challenge? So is anyone talking to you about incremental reach as a, as a source of incremental reach? And I get a more pointed version of that is like, yeah. do they believe that the same people who are on TikTok as power users are the people, same people who are on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, et cetera, or you've got an opportunity to reach incremental people, uh, yeah. new people on the platform. I'd say more the latter. I think a lot of it's less about in the conversations that I've been involved in, it's less about the, like the, the duplicated views, right? Like, okay, if, if we're going to do this on Instagram, are they going to follow us on TikTok? I think it's just more of like, Hey, you're producing content for Instagram and for all these other platforms. Why wouldn't you build in distribution to TikTok? And like, again, not just being lazy and taking what you're making for, for Instagram and slapping it onto TikTok, but being like, no, this is a viable distribution channel that we should be focusing time and effort on to make sure that we're delivering something that's going to give us a good potential for return. So yeah, I think that level of sophistication, I think many brands are thinking like, how can I reach more people more often? for longer. And TikTok is now one of those platforms where it's just, it's just part of the mix. I think the main question that I've been hearing is like a year ago, it was like, should we be on there? And now that question is shifted to how should we be on there? And so it's kind of like that graduation of that, of that first question into the second one. As we wind down here, 
you know, we've, we've obviously covered a lot. So I want you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of you're a marketing person who's listening to this. You've just listened to us kind of rant and rave about TikTok, all these different kinds of applications. What would be your kind of piece of advice or recommendation for what people on the brand side when it, and, and marketers, what they should be thinking about when it comes to staying agile and, and adaptable with these social platforms and with TikTok specifically? Uh, there's a few things there. So number one, this is going to become a core part of your media mix. Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere anytime fast. Like it's it's found its audience. That audience has clearly been influential in you know getting further distribution or go, yeah. or yeah getting further distribution in the network effects are full in play there. So I'd say like it's going to be a part of your network effect, and the audience is influential. They're gaining more purchasing power. Yeah, as a result of that you got to start figuring your shit out now in terms of how to start crafting your message for that audience in that medium. And look, it's trial and learn. It's, you know, try and fail, trial and fail, trial and learn, whatever we want to call it. Not everything you do is going to be great. The, the brands that are less precious with, uh, you know, failure and experimentation, I think are going to be winners. And why that's particularly important is that when I look at the opportunity for organic distribution, especially given the fact that it's not tied to your social graph as much as the other platforms, like the opportunity to have things, you know, scale faster through organic distribution is incredible. So much so that, you know, when we ran our TikTok campaign in August, there was a tailwind on the rest of our organic content that we produced before that. Yeah. I believe almost every single video, and there was over 20 that we had on the platform before we ran that campaign, had over 100,000 views after that Clearly Transformed campaign launched. So that's a really powerful totally. you know, mechanism as well in terms of like the tailwind into the organic distribution of your existing content. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is like, you know, TikTok's here to stay. And like if we've seen something else is uh, over the last 20 years is that every generation or kind of like half generation seems to have their own preferred medium and therefore platform of preference. Yeah. And so I think we'd be short-sighted to say that like TikTok is going to be the be all and end all, you know, forever, yeah. something else is going to come around. That's probably going to appeal to the, you know, the, the people who are six, seven, you know, years old now, yeah. who are then going to be 13 years old or 15 years old, you know, five-ish years from now that actually appeals to them potentially more yeah. than TikTok does. And maybe TikTok and Instagram, you know, get ahead of it. And they're the ones who introduce it. But the point there is like the medium of information consumption is only mm-hmm. going to get more efficient. And I know, you know, we, joke about meta and like you know just uh, some of that stuff but there was something very real there right like that's totally. an experiment into new mediums of consumption information totally. consumption. yeah and you know hats off for the experimentation by both you know them microsoft's made a you know a pretty big announcement this week about it as well and mm-hmm. there's a reason for this because like owning not only that medium but then also the computing platform that underpins that medium is exceptionally powerful and i'll leave it at that yeah Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing that you just said to me there that I picked up on is I think besides TikTok and LinkedIn, that's basically where organic still pops in terms of just like followers to to views and that proportion. I I speak, you know, I post content on LinkedIn. I have 5,000 followers on LinkedIn, but when I post something, it can get 10, 15, 20,000 views. And I'm like, there is no other platform out there except for TikTok where that could actually happen. And so I think about that from a marketing perspective is like what platforms are out there that, you know, my target customer hangs out on and that I could have a great potential at bat 
when I go and run a campaign or whatever. And so I think that's the same thing. Like the thing that's so cool about TikTok there is like, you don't have to, to your point, you don't have to spend a ton of money on a campaign. You could be a nobody and throw up a video and like off it goes and it pops off. And I think like that is a fundamental difference between, you know, again, using this phrase, the traditional social networks where like, yeah, that's just not possible anymore. Yeah. And, and the other point I'll underline around that too, is just the people that they're hiring yeah. is, you know, while the platform may be new, the people that they're hiring either, you know, on the content side, on the sales side, on the, uh, you know, engineering and product side, like these are veterans. Like yeah. these are people who've done this before and done some shape of this before. When I think about like a lot of my, you know, former colleagues at Facebook and frankly, some of those colleagues who were there before 2010, yeah. um, you know, they, they've done this before in terms of driving growth, monetization and stickiness of these networks. Yeah. Um, and so the people that are working there are hyper smart. They've done this before and yeah. they know how to drive user and business value. And they realize that, you know, consumer value eventually translates out to business value. And so yeah. I'm very, very, very bullish yeah. on uh, what their prospects are going to be, both in terms of like stickiness with consumers, but also the business value that they're going to drive. Mm-hmm. Well, last question for you. Where's the best place for people to get a hold of you online? Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Yeah, there's uh, no more professional email address. So uh, <laughs> hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, just V-I-K. Uh, and then my last name, K-A-M for Mike, B-L-I, Cambly. Uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, always happy to chat as I'm kind of entering this uh, advisory slash rest stage slash sabbatical phase, uh, family phase of my career and life. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. I definitely love chatting with you about this stuff. And I'm sure everybody listening learned a lot too. So please do not hesitate to reach out to Vic if you have any questions. Thanks for taking the time, dude. Thanks, Charlie. A pleasure as always. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.